We all face storms in life. We need to understand God's good purposes for allowing them. Stay with me, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. I'm Michael Rydelnik. I'm academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. So glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give us a call. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 877, you know, dial, I guess you press, 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Trisha McMillan is our producer handling all things technical for us, is our engineer, Courtney Young, and Lynn is answering the phones. Now, go get yourself a cup of coffee and open your Bible because we're about to study the scriptures together. But before we get to your questions, let's talk about the true understanding of the storms of life. Now, last week I mentioned that I have a friend that went through some terrible life storms in recent years, loss of a job, a cancer diagnosis, conflict in his congregation. Why should this be happening to a faithful servant of God? Why do storms come upon any of us? We all face stormy weather in life. It might be a health storm or a relational breakup or a financial crisis or any number of difficulties. How should we think about these troubles? The answer is found in one of my favorite stories from the Gospel of Mark, the time the Lord Jesus stilled the storm. Look at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. That's Mark 4, 35 through 41. Here's what it says. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat. And the other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Last week we looked at this passage, and we saw the way from this passage, the way we misunderstand the storms of life. We may think they're random or that the Lord Jesus is unaware of what's happening, or that he doesn't care. But there's a better answer, and that's what we're going to look at today. Today we're going to see the real reasons for the storms of life. Let's review what's going on in the story. The Sea of Galilee, just remember, isn't really a sea. It's just a lake. But don't mistake how dangerous it could be. Every afternoon the wind comes up, makes the lake very challenging. For example, I was once swimming in the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, and the afternoon wind came up. It was so bad, I couldn't swim back to the shore. 
I needed Eva to toss me a life preserver and pull me in. That's how bad it was, just a normal afternoon wind. So consider how bad a storm would be. Particularly, think about it, even these experienced fishermen were terrified. They misunderstood what was happening, and then they woke Jesus. And he gave them the real reasons for the storm. That explanation gives us three reasons for the storms of life. Here's the first one. We experience storms to increase our faith. Look at verses 39 and 40. After getting up, the Lord Jesus stilled the storm with the word, silence, be still. And then he asked them, why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? The whole purpose of the storm was to assess and grow their faith. When we're facing a storm, we need to remember that Jesus is really with us and will bring us home safely. It may even be that he'll bring us right into his presence, but he still will bring us home safely. We need to trust that he is with us and that he'll protect us in the storm. Many years ago, as I was going through one of the inevitable storms of ministry, I stood shaving, looking at the mirror one morning, wondering, why was God letting this happen to me? I felt ready to quit ministry for all time. Well, just right then, the Stephen Curtis Chapman song came on, the Moody radio show in the morning, the song, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. It was such a wake-up call. He is faithful and true. I needed to trust him more the worse the storm became. The Lord Jesus was using this storm to build my trust in him. We experience storms to increase our faith. But there's a second reason. We experience storms to reveal the true identity of Jesus. When, we, when, we, when Jesus stilled the storm, the disciples' response demonstrates that they were realizing who he was. In verse 41, it says that they were terrified and asked, who then is this? The reason they were terrified is that they knew the answer. Only God could stop the wind and the waves. We need to realize what they learned. We're not following a mere itinerant Jewish preacher from Galilee. He's not just a good man with beautiful words. He is God. One of my favorite TV characters when I was a kid was Superman. Sure, everyone knew Clark Kent, but I knew who he really was. He was Superman. And not just when he took off his glasses and put on that Superman outfit, not just when he wore the cape. No, even looking like a mild-mannered reporter from the Daily Planet, he was actually the Man of Steel. And even when we see Jesus as fully man, we must... Always remember that he's fully God, creator of the universe, the master of creation. And as followers of Jesus, we're not just following a grand philosophy or good teacher. We're following the Lord of the universe, and he's the Lord of our lives. We experience storms to reveal the true identity of Jesus and to increase our faith. But also, we experience storms to show to learn Jesus' power over those storms. Look at the disciples' final words in the story. Even the wind and sea obey him. Of course they do. 
He's more powerful than the storm and can control it. The same, the same thing is true about the storms in our lives. The Lord Jesus can care for our storms too. He's more powerful than a conflict with a loved one, an empty bank account, or even any illness, even cancer. Whatever storm we may face, he's more powerful. Here's the point of the story. The Lord Jesus deliberately places us in storms. He puts us there to build our faith in who he really is, God in the flesh and the Lord of the storm. Let's remember that the next time we see storm clouds gathering and hear thunder in the distance. Well, before we go to the phones, I want to introduce my guest for today. He is my partner in crime, co-editor of the Moody Bible Commentary, adjunct professor of Bible at Moody Bible Institute, and co-teacher on multiple Israel trips with me, and the other Michael of the two Michaels, Dr. Mike Van Lanningham. I am so glad that you're here with me. Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here, Michael. Love Love being with you anytime and doing open line stuff is really cool. Really, uh, really cool. Well, I am so happy you're here. You know, usually we're together on, on Chris Favory, but I thought with the start of the new school year and you having to come in, schlep in from the way northwest suburbs of Chicago, uh, I thought, well, I'll make you come in one more day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it works out good because I can. So, yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you're here and uh, had your first week of school. Tell me. What it was like to be back in the classroom. How did yeah. it feel? Yeah, okay. So I always say when people ask me that question, how'd it go? And I always say, look, the teacher's the wrong one to ask. If the students are having a good time, that's the key. And I think I think it went well. I enjoyed myself a lot. I, Without being overly melodramatic, I feel like, you know, God designed me for the college classroom. Yeah. And so it's really fun to be back. So it went well, I think. Yeah. I, I, heard, I heard the reports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't it did doubt go that. well. The students but, thought it went yeah, well, Yes, too. Mr. Dean now, so, yeah. yeah. No, the students, they, t- they come to me because they, you know, I, I was kind of talking it up. I'm, I'm bringing the Mike V back in the fall. And uh, so they came, and I told them, everyone, take Dr. V, take Dr. V. So <laughs> Half of my class lists, lists their majors, Jewish studies, Jewish studies, Jewish studies, <laughs> Jewish studies. It could very well okay. be. Okay. That, that could be. I know where they came from, yeah. <laughs> Well, I am so glad that you're back in the classroom, and uh, I'm so glad you're back here on Open Line. Yeah. You know, you've done this a lot of times. We, you've, I, get, I always get you once or twice a year on. Sure. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. Uh, well, we're going to go to the phone, take a call. Uh, speak. We're going to speak with Donna in Lauder Lakes, Florida, listening on the Moody Radio app, which I'm so glad. You know, anyone can listen on the Moody Radio app. You don't have to be in the the have a station nearby you can listen right on the moody radio app or you can listen to the podcast it's a great way to listen to open line hey donna welcome to open line how can i help you thank you so much for this opportunity um i saw a program um on tv about the early church called from jesus to christ and they said something that really troubled me uh that the in the book of john that the last supper was actually a different time than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that in John, uh, at the time of the the Last Supper, Jesus was the sacrifice, and um, that he that he was um, 
that the Last Supper was a different time. And I just yep. wondered if you could speak to that. This is one of those things where people talk about that the synoptics, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is different from the Gospel of John. Uh, do, do you want me to jump in there, or you have some? Well, I, I can start. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the chronology of, of the last couple of days of Jesus, it is, it is not as simple as we might tend to think that it is. But I, but I think there's some pretty good explanations for it. In, um, in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, Then the Jews, that is the Jewish leaders, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross, and so on. Um, the day of preparation means Friday. Um, the day of preparation is a preparation for the Sabbath, and the Sabbath starts at sundown on Friday. And so um, the phrase is only used for uh, preparation or for Friday of the Sabbath. That phrase is not used for preparing the Passover proper, which was already now passed. And so I think the, the, the problem comes in misunderstanding that phrase, day of preparation, as if it is referring to um, the Passover meal being prepared um, it, in the Gospels, it's being prepared and eaten on Thursday, but in John's gospel, that verse is misunderstood to indicate that it's being prepared for on Friday, but that's not the case. Yeah. So there, there isn't really that difference between, on this point, between um, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke versus John. And then in the upper room, I think one of the things that people complain about is when, uh, if it was in the eve of Passover, how in the world would John go out to get something for the meal you know, uh, which is what they thought. Well, I think one of the best explanations, because uh, that would not be the case, one of the best explanations is by Harold Honer in the book Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. He shows how Galileans and the Pharisaic perspective would have been to offer the sacrifice for Passover the afternoon and early evening of Thursday, but that the Sadducean and Judeans, which, by the way, that's what uh, Judas was, the only Judean of the disciples. So the Sadducees and the Judeans, they offered it the, the following day in the morning. And so as a result, what you have is, and they had to accommodate all those many people offering Passover sacrifices. So they, the priesthood agreed to letting those Galileans do that. So the Lord Jesus and his disciples offered the Passover lamb on Thursday late afternoon celebrated the Passover together Thursday night, and then he was arrested, tried overnight, and the it says that the priests had not yet eaten the Passover, it says in the trial of Jesus. Well, the reason was because they were going to offer the sacrifices the following day at noon. And so it just has to do with the different ways that Jews from different areas and different traditions offered Passover sacrifices. That's why... Uh, you have the two different times, and that, I think, explains it. I hope that helps, Donna. Uh, pick up Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold Honor. That'll be great. And uh, you'll, I, that's great help for most of these chronological questions. We're going to come back with more of your questions in just a moment right here on Open Line with Michael Reidelnik and my guest, Mike Van Lanningham.
we're back. My name is Michael Radelnik. This program is called Open Line. My guest today is Dr. Mike Van Lanningham. Here's our phone number. Give us a call. Now's a good time to call because it's early in the program. It's the best time to get through. Our phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Feel free to call with any question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. Before getting back to the phones, let's talk about our current resource, and it's the last week for it. Psalms and Proverbs are two of the most popular books of the Bible, but there are passages that can leave us confused or asking questions, and that's why this excerpt from the Moody Bible Commentary is a great resource for your study. It offers background and insight to the passages in Psalms and the Proverbs and guides us in answering our questions. Get the Psalms and Proverbs commentary excerpted from the Moody Bible Commentary and start applying the comfort and wisdom of these great books. It's yours when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. We want to say thank you and send you this book. Just call 888-644-7122. That's 888-644-7122. Or go to openlineradio.org. That's our website. And remember, when you give... Ask for the Moody Bible Commentary on Psalms and Proverbs. Well, we're going to go back to the phones. Mike V., you ready? Uh, the, ready or not. This, this is a question about Romans, so therefore, I'm glad you're here. Okay. My personal expert on Romans. When I have a question on Romans, I call Mike V. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk to David in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, also listening on the Moody Radio app, as our last caller was. Welcome to Open Line, David. How can I help you? Thank you. Um, last Sunday, one of our pastors was uh, preaching on Romans twelve three plus some other verses, but it really stuck in my mind that part of the verse says, a measure of faith God has given you. And I looked in the Moody Bible commentary, and it still didn't quite answer my question. My question is, is only a certain amount of faith or the opportunity for only a certain amount of faith given to me and to each believer? If so, how do I grow my faith, or is it just a, I'm going to hit a brick wall? That's a great question, David, and I'm chagrined that the Moody Bible commentary on Romans didn't answer that question because I wrote that commentary, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry about that. Um, yes. So the, the phrase measure of faith can be understood in a bunch of different ways. I think the very best understanding is to, is to view it um, from this standpoint. The word measure can refer to an amount of something that God distributes to you. So it, it could be the amount of faith that you have. I think the better understanding is uh, the word in, in the ancient G Greek language can also mean uh, sort of a yardstick or a measuring instrument whereby other things are measured. So I think what's going on here, got to follow me on this. It's not so much that God has given us an amount of faith, but rather we can measure ourselves against the standard of faith. And you might say, well, that sounds really weird. Well, let me explain. Paul begins by saying, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. If I look at how much faith I got that God's given me and I compare how much faith I think you have, then I'm going to look at myself more highly and more egotistically than I might look at you. And that's exactly what Paul wants to avoid. But 
if every Christian measures himself against the standard of saving faith, then what I find is I get saved the same way you did. That there's there's no there's no difference between you and me or or you and any other believer or me and any other believer because we are all judged and measured by the standard of saving faith. We all get saved exactly the same way. So this is not talking about how much faith God gives you and growing in your faith, though there certainly is the Bible's full of how to do that. This is more uh, giving us an idea of how it is we will avoid being arrogant against each other, and that is to recognize that we are all measured against the standard of saving faith, and from that standpoint, we are all equal. Now, that's a little puzzling, but that, I think, is the best understanding of the verse, and that's what I should have said in the Moody commentary, commentary. on Romans. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I've got a follow-up. To, uh, does it still mean we can grow our faith? Or of, do, of course, yeah. Can we grow it? Well, uh, um, we cooperate in a very mysterious way with the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we, you know, Paul says, using a slightly different figure, um, Ephesians 5.18, you know, uh, do not get drunk with wine for that dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, the Spirit fills us, but we are to put ourselves in a position where he can do that and where he will do that. Mm -hmm. And I think as we heartfully and sincerely live out the Christian life, do the basic disciplines of the Christian life, then the Spirit can fill us. And I would say the same thing happens. We grow our faith as we do the basic things of the Christian life, as we study the Word, as we are involved in worship, as we witness, as we fellowship, uh, as we pray. These are the things that can help grow our faith, for yeah, sure. I was thinking about this, because we talked about growing trust, I did, in the opening Word today. So I was thinking, what does the as you were talking, I was thinking, what does the Bible teach about how we, our faith has grown? And one of the first ways is by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if, when we hear and study and learn the Word of God, our faith will grow. Then I was thinking about uh, Mark 4, the passage that we looked at. It's the storms of life that grow our faith. Right. And as we, and boy, it doesn't seem like that's what we should want. Uh, so the, the point of it is that that when we go through a storm, God is the one that's using it to build our faith as we walk with him through that storm and then or the difficulties of life. And then here's something else that I, I love this passage in Luke 17 when uh, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And it gives them their potential. You can have great faith. You can say up to this tree, you can say to the mulberry tree, mulberry tree, be uprooted and be cast on the sea. You can. Well, how are they going to do that? And he talks about, and then he gives a parable of the, of the faithful slave who works in the field all day. And then he comes in and has to make dinner. And they say, we're only slaves. We're only doing that which is required. So what, what is that teaching about how to increase our faith? The, the evidence of faith and growing faith is, is serving God with just devotion to him because that's what we ought to be doing. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, I was thinking, how is it? That would be a... Now, I'm sure there are other ways that God uses to grow our faith, but off the top of my head, I was, I was thinking, where, where do we have increasing faith? Uh, so the Word of God, troubles. <laughs> sure. Faithfulness and troubles grows our faith. 
and faithful service. And uh, so here's David. You want to have a faith that's growing? Yes. That's it. Read the Word. Study the Word. That's the first way. Uh, Trust God in your troubles. And then thirdly, keep serving Him. Okay? Thank you very much. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for calling. So uh, let's... uh, Let's do this. I, I, people are always asking me how they can listen to Open Line. Uh, or they write to Trish and they say, oh, we, we, we don't know how to get this program after we've missed it. They're actually writing that on the Facebook page, uh, Mike. And, and I never answer. Trish does. She's the, the guardian of the, the Facebook page. Okay, so here's how you can get the Moody Radio app and you can, you can listen on demand all the past programs, like a year and a half of programs. So on demand, that's, that's what we all want. We want it on demand, right? Yes. Uh, and then uh, we can listen on the Moody Radio app live. We can listen with podcasts. All your podcast distributors have the program. Just put in open line. You can start following us there and get the podcast. Or what you can do is go just go to the website, openlineradio.org, and you click on the past programs link and you listen to a year and a half, year and a half of programs. Well, we're going to come right back with the mailbag. Trish has got it all set up. I'm here with Mike Van Lanningham. My name is Michael Rydelnik. Stay with us. We're coming right back with more of your questions on Moody Radio's Open Line. To open line with me, Michael Radelnik, uh, Michael Van Lanningham, my co-editor of the Moody Bible Commentary. We did that together. Boy, that was hard work, huh? Yeah, that was six and a half years, start to finish. Yeah, and and I basically did, during that time I didn't do anything else in terms of any writing or publishing or anything like that because that took pretty much all of my of my time, our time. Yeah, it just was overwhelming. And now, of course, we're constantly working, tweaking it still which yeah. is hard to believe for people. One of these days, man, there's going to be a second edition, and it's going to be 18 volumes, and it's going to... No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> it won't be that long, but... No, it's always going to be one volume, but we're going yeah. to we're gonna find things that we want to tweak and right. adjust, and yeah, it's that'll be good. That will. Uh, but it's a lot of work, you know, and I... Th- we we were we were pretty good colleagues when that happened, but I think it really knit us together as yeah. friends uh, for life, you know, working on that. I, I always think of you when your when your phone rings i have my my special music for you on my phone and, and there were a number of occasions where michael held me back when i wanted to go and punch guys in the face yeah, right. because they were just <laughs> taking too long to do stuff i, I don't mean that literally but no, sometimes no. it felt like that come on get this stuff yeah. i was just thinking about how you'd say are we ever going to finish this and so i made your theme music mission impossible yes That's, that was it we yep. took we took indie off yeah. Uh, and made it mission impossible. You know, but that, I think that's the 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 thing for me is we did this I think better because we worked together. Yeah. Yeah. But, and and not not to not to go running down this rabbit trail too far. But the thing that's cool about the Moody Bible commentary is that you know, the one of the editors of it is a Jewish believer. And as a result, you know, Michael was very sensitive, although I'm sensitive to these things as well, but especially he is sensitive to how you know, the Bible has such a profoundly Jewish 
character and flavor to it. And a lot of commentaries don't have that. And so it was cool to work with Michael on that. And the product, I think, really reflects that. And that's that's good. Yeah. And and then of course you knew the answer. So that together, that worked together. Yeah. We 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 I, I really I love the idea of teamwork. It's one of the things I've done. I've done a number of projects like this. It's teamwork and, and I I'm using that as my transition. There is a real team here at OpenLine. Uh, of course we have the staff that works here, Court, Trisha, me. Uh Eva comes on sometimes and does the program and uh but the most the partners that the team members of the team that I re, that I truly appreciate are people who are listeners who listen and are blessed by it and I appreciate all that they grow from listening to Open Line and then some say we want to be kitchen table partners we we like sitting around the radio kitchen table every week listening to the the Bible being taught we've become kitchen table partners that means they give monthly to Open Line so we can be on weekly and I appreciate their partnership so much. And, you know, there are a lot of people who listen who have never considered giving a gift. Of course, if you did, we'd appreciate it so much. And there are also people who have given gifts periodically so they can get the resource. But uh, maybe now it's time to think about becoming a kitchen table partner to actually commit, make that commitment. If you see yourself as part of this team, I sure would appreciate it. It means so much to us. And when you do become a kitchen table partner, one of the things that I will do is I will send you a Bible study moment every other week. It's an audio Bible study that you get in your email, click on it, listen to it. In fact, I I think our next uh, Bible study moment I did with you, Mike, right? Oh, that one. Yes. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) So, And we'll keep doing those. And that's one of the ways I can kind of keep touch with you and give you some encouragement from the Word. Well, if you'd like to become a Kitchen Table Partner, just call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Really appreciate it. Here's the other member of the team. She's the queen of the questions, the Malka, that's the Hebrew word for queen, of the mailbag. So there she is, Trish McMillan. Hey, Trish. Hi. So are you coming with me next month down to Indianapolis? Are you going to be there? I am. Oh, uh, what are we going to do in Indianapolis? Tell oh, us, tell let our... me tell you. Okay. Well, I'm. we're going to do a live open line broadcast with people <laughs> at Castleview Church um, in Indianapolis, but the it is part of a Fall Feast of Israel um, conference, mini teaching. conference, yeah. teaching yeah. day. So it's a full day of teaching. It goes from, it goes until late afternoon. Yep. yep. Um, where you will be teaching. So we'll do a live open line in the morning, and then the teaching in the afternoon. Um, on, on the fall feast of on Israel. On the fall We're feast of Israel. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, mm-hmm. or uh, let's say I should say those in English: Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and then uh, the feast Festival of booths. of booths. Yeah. And that is in Indianapolis on September 23rd. So there is still room. I have a link on the openlineradio.org website. If you want to just learn more information, the schedule is posted there. There is a um, slight cost, um, but you can find all of those details on our website, openlineradio.org. Do you know what a funny thing happened the last time I did that? Not, not the fall piece. I think I did Israel and Prophecy the last time we went down to Indianapolis. And uh, I mentioned that I was going to do it on this program. We we weren't quite as intentional as posting things. And like and all of a sudden, when I'm there, I'm meeting people from Florida. <laughs> I'm meeting people from Chattanooga. And I said, well, what brings you here? 
we heard you mention this on on open line and so we decided to come up and become part of the conference and that was great I and sometimes that. i know some of those were um they're snowbirds yeah and so they do <laughs> listen when they're when they live in florida i know one woman in particular she was like we just came up two weeks earlier than we would have yeah so i was like okay but yeah. they yeah they yeah. just went back home to the north so after. if you're listening to open line you know there are planes that come to indianapolis and yeah. you can join us and roads roads it's the crossroads of america <laughs> exactly right and then also of course if you're in indianapolis i hope you'll join us it's going to be a great time and if you can't we will be live on the air and yeah. you can listen to it that's right and be part of it that yeah. way and if, if i know the indie people they'll do something about getting those uh those teachings recorded i i suspect so, <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just thinking they probably will. I don't know that for a fact. Okay, let's hit, let's hit some of these questions. All right, our first question is from Instagram. We are on Instagram. Um, we are Open Line Radio is our handle on Instagram. But Steve Strock two wants to know: Did Messiah die for everyone or only the elect? Okay. Now this <laughs> is I, this. Is, I'm glad that someone asked this. This yes. is Michael and I. I think disagree about this. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, now, here's the deal. What I think is funny is we both explain. This is what I think is funny. I said to Michael that I think uh, the Messiah's death was sufficient for all. His death, his atonement, it was sufficient for all, but efficient for those who are elect. That's my explanation. He said, well, that's my explanation, too. So maybe we don't disagree that much, but I, I'm i going to just start with my opinion, okay? Then we're going to turn it over to Michael. And, can, I, yes. can I ask one question first? Yeah. If you two um, normally would agree on a lot of things. Yeah, we agree about almost this, everything. Right. How important is this um, as an issue in terms of our faith? Depends on who you ask. If you ask a, a, like a super Calvinist, mm-hmm. I'm 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 destined for hell right now. Okay. Because I, uh, they get really mad about me not holding to uh, what's called limited atonement, limited okay. to the elect. So this, if someone is familiar with the five points of Calvinism, this is the L. Yeah. In the tulip. Yeah, limited um, atonement, exactly. Okay. And now I, I don't I don't think this is because we agree, and this is what's so important. We agree that Jesus died for me and for Mike and we've that he was raised again we're trusting in him and that's the only way to experience forgiveness new life eternal life is by trusting in Jesus uh, as long as we believe that we're okay okay uh, and uh, we we don't disagree about that at all right so uh, okay so he, this is going to be a long question we'll take a lot i'm gonna it's slower when we've got my that's Q, fine because yeah. we talk too much that's you know? fine but it's we okay. want to make sure we understand this yeah too, so we're not trying to just speed over it now uh i i of course believe when it says uh, for god so love the world it means the world of people not just the world of the elect or the world of jews or the world of gentiles or you know i think it means but in first peter chapter second peter chapter two uh, it talks about false teachers. Now, in Scripture, false teachers are always lost. They're not people who lost their salvation. They were never. They are always people who are lost. And in First Peter two two, it says, 
of these false teachers. Many will follow their unrestrained ways, and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. Right? And so what it says, though, in verse 1 of them, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who redeemed them or bought them. And so that's talking about the redemptive death of Jesus. They didn't lose their salvation. They never had it. But he did, in my opinion, pay the price for them if they would only accept him and trust in him. So that verse is what the verse, I think, is the clearest verse to show that Messiah's atonement had some sort of uh, payment for lost people. Yeah, and I, I'm probably a little bit more on the Calvinist side of things, although I agree with Michael that Christ's death is um, sufficient for the entire world if the entire world were to turn to Jesus in faith, but it is efficient only for the elect. And that's actually what Calvinists, most Calvinists, good Calvinists believe is and limited I agree with atonement. That too. Yeah, we agree yeah. on that. You know, I mean, so just, just to say a couple of verses here. Uh, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say that he died for the world, but he died for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's a different way to understand John three sixteen. You know, for God so loved the world, it could be translated for God in this way loved the world, namely, that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him, this is not, uh, that whoever believes should actually be translated so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. How does God love the world? By sending Jesus to die so that believers don't perish. That's one way to understand that verse. Now, one other thing, very quickly, and I'm sorry that I add and make these question answers so long. It's okay. You know, so, hey, people like it. Yeah, well, yeah. And we, who can't account for people's taste, but yeah, they do, <laughs> like, they do like it. <laughs> Michael, shut up. Man. So, <laughs> no, no, I, we're not supposed to say that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. We're to just say joking. That. You're just joking. Yeah. So, but but in First John two, uh, verse two, he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And so you've got verses like that. I kind of think that John's talking about two different groups here, his own church consisting of Jewish believers and the whole world being that Jesus is also the propitiation for Gentiles if they have faith. So I, I'm, I mean, I think the Bible uh, does actually teach limited atonement, but the way that Michael and I understand it is, is right and correct. Yep. Sufficient for all, efficient for right. the elect. Okay. Well. I don't, I don't think we have any fast questions here, so we're no. going to just take a break here. That's fine. When we come back, we'll talk more about the questions you've sent while well, you're calling in, and then next hour we'll have the mailbag. And I won't schmooze then. We'll, <laughs> we'll go right we'll to the We'll get to questions. more questions yeah. that next hour. Yeah, that is uh, Trisha McGillan, Mike Van Lanningham, and me, Michael Wright Dunlick. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. Stay right there. Welcome back to Open Line. Michael Van Lanningham is here with me today. Before we go to the phones, in Romans 10.1, Paul said his heart's desire, and listen to this, 
and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Listen to that verse. The apostle prayed for the Jewish people, for the people of Israel, a prayer we too often neglect. And that's why Chosen People Ministries, new calendar is a great reminder to pray for Israel. This year's calendar will immerse us in the land of Israel and encourage us to pray with breathtaking photos from the land and prayer prompts. This calendar can be yours free. Just, uh, you know, the Jewish New Year runs from the fall to fall, not from January to December. So this one goes from September, this calendar, all the way to December 31st. If you'd like a free copy of the Chosen People Ministries Messianic Jewish Art Calendar, just go to the Open Line website, openlineradio.org. Scroll down, you'll see the link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for a free copy of the 2324 Jewish Art Calendar. Don't miss out on getting that. Okay, we're going to go to the phones to Sam in Des Plaines, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Sam. How can I help you? Yes, good morning, Michael and Michael. Morning. Um, I have a, uh, a question about uh, demon possession, okay? And it is just simply this. How do we know that a person is actually demon-possessed, or are we viewing something that is a, a, uh, um, a case of a serious mental illness? And if the person is demon-possessed, is there a, 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 a ministry that can uh, be employed to uh, cast the demon out, or is that something that, that any Christian should be able to do? Well, that's a lot of questions there. But, you know, I don't know that I am expert on discerning mental illness from uh, demonic behavior. But I do think that sometimes we see behavior that is easily classifiable as medical, uh, where uh, medication can help or uh, paranoid schizophrenia, uh, uh bipolar disorders, and and there are some believers that rush right away and say it's demons. That's uh, unlikely. I think that it's okay to recognize that there's mental, there are mental health issues. Uh, I believe that there'll be a uh, distinctive sense of evil if you encounter someone that's actually demonized. That would be different than a disorder. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I would, I would say, you know, if... If we encounter something that we think might actually be demonic, um, and yet as we confront them with the Word of God, and as we confront them with the gospel, as they embrace the Word of God and the gospel, if they are no better, then that may be, notice how I'm saying it, that may be an indication of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Because if it were truly demonic and they encounter Jesus and the Word, uh, I think the demons will fold in, in light of that confrontation. So, but this is really tricky. It's really hard to sort that but, out. But I'll tell you what I really like about what you said is what you do is present the word, you present Jesus. Yes. Uh, too often believers think today that we should be confronting demons. I don't believe that's the case. I think that the Lord Jesus sent the, the disciples out, the 12, and they did it after his ascension. But I don't think that's something for every believer today I don't think we have to bind Satan, confront Satan, anything like that. We don't don't talk to demons because they're liars. And so don't do that. 
I just don't think that that's for us today, but I do think we need to deal with it. The way we deal with it is through proclamation of the good news, the gospel. And I had this wonderful friend. He's with the Lord now. He was the chairman of the Intercultural Studies Department at Moody. He had been a missionary in Central America, encountered a lot of demonism. He said he learned the hard way. Don't talk to demons. They're liars. And so what he said what he said was he always proclaimed the gospel. And what did he what happened? When people trusted in Jesus, the demons left. And uh, so he said he didn't feel like he needed to talk to demons. He needed to proclaim the good news. And so, I mean, that was a, a lot of animism and, and demonic activity there among the tribes that he worked with. And they came to faith and the demons left. Just amazing when I think about that. And uh, too often believers think, you know, if I just cast out the demon of, like, uh, gluttony, all of a sudden I'm going to get thin. No, you need to go on a diet, right? That's Yeah, it's really interesting in Ephesians chapter 6, super quickly, just read, but, you know, uh, girded your loins with truth. That is, we're to put on God's truth, the Word of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That is, we are to count ourselves righteous in Christ. God, God counts us righteous that way. Um, having your, sheet, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace means being steady because we have peace with God and so on. These are the things that we use to fight Satan. And, and those are just the basic disciplines of the Christian life. It's nothing really fancy. Yeah, when you think about it, that passage, the word that's used, sometimes it says stand, right? But it's the same word to stand against right. is resist. And yes. so resist, resist, resist. Believers are told to resist the enemy. We're never told to remove him. I think that's a very important huh. distinction uh, to make there. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. The first hour went really fast, but there's a second hour coming up right here on most of these stations. If your station doesn't carry open line, check us out on the Moody Radio app or on the podcast. Hope you can catch it there. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. has all sorts of links you'll find helpful, including how to get the calendar, how how to get the current Bible study resource, how to become a kitchen table partner. All things are there. Second hour of Open Line coming up straight ahead. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Moody Bible Institute.